Hey everybody, it's Mark. Welcome or welcome back to the New Spring Church podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free New Spring app where you can access all of our recent message content. Actually, the app is the easiest way to share all this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around here at New Spring. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Before I get into the little talk tonight, I just want to remind you that we are starting a brand new series this weekend that's been hot and heavy on my heart for a long time. I look at our nation, I look at America, and I realize we're down to two options with what is happening in our nation. We're either going to have revival or we're going to have judgment. And there's a window for revival. We want to catch it while there's still two options. And so if there is ever a series for Christ followers to take seriously. It's a series we're about to go in because I'm telling you, uh, we really only have two options. If you study scripture, when, we, when, a, when a nation is where we are, it's either going to experience judgment like Sodom or Gomorrah, or it's going to turn around like Nineveh. And so by the grace of God, we are going to be a church that I believe God can be pleased to bless. You know, here's the thing, and I don't want to preach this, this weekend's message now, but I feel it already. <laughs> Uh, the thing of it is, people are looking for power today, and there's all kinds of power, and the church is kind of getting, I don't mean our church, but the church is kind of getting wrapped up in intellectual power, political power, and all these kinds of power, but that's not the kind of power that's going to change the world. We have to have God's power, and the great news is it's available, but we're going to have to go after it, so that series starts this weekend, starts Saturday night. Well, I have a really unusual message tonight, but I think it's going to bless you. Um, let me just give you a little background. Mary Alice and I read through the Bible every morning. Uh, we go, we read the through the uh, through the year Bible, and uh, some of you guys do that. And we just finished in December, and then we started all over again. And, and I don't know if uh, you can sort of put yourself in our world for a little bit, but Mary Alice likes to read out loud. I like to be read to, so it's a good combination. But you, you can um, you can sort of have sympathy for Mary Alice because. When you are reading out loud to a pastor, it is kind of interesting because there are like moments where I like jump up like I've been shot by a bullet. So read that again. And so uh, the message I'm bringing to you tonight uh, comes from one of those days that Mary Alice was reading to me and God just showed me something that I'd never seen before. And it's very practical, it's very helpful. And I think we may really walk out of here with a whole different point of view tonight. Let me ask you a question that'll just kind of get us uh, marinating in this. In your life, are there things that you have to do that are frankly no fun? I mean, just stuff on a daily basis. Uh, you do them and you walk away and you say, I'm not sure it really has that much meaning. It's small. Uh, maybe it's a mundane task. The word mundane means dull. So it could be it's a dull task and it's just part of your world and you do it. And you wonder, is anybody seeing? Does it matter? Uh, I'll tell you the ones that really get after me are the repetitive tasks because I am a person of high energy and if I have to do the same thing over and over and over again, it just sort of like dulls my brain. So do you have anything like that? It's just, it's part of your job, but it's repetitive. It's putting tab A in slot B all day long. Uh, do you have tasks that are unpleasant. Instantly when I was working on this sermon, my mind went to all of you moms of toddlers because you just have stuff to do that's unpleasant, right? I mean, or it, it, it could be true for all of us. There's just stuff that's part of our world that if you could, you wouldn't do it. 
uh, or it could be that you have to labor in anonymity and nobody, you do it, but no one knows that you're doing it, doesn't give you credit. Or it could be that you're the one doing the hard work and somebody else gets the credit for it. Do you ever wish you could like break free from that? Do you ever wish you could just feel the wind in your hair or if you're like me, feel the wind on your head? Uh, do, you ever, do you ever wish you could just like break free from all those unpleasant tasks and do purposeful things? I think this is especially true for God followers. Um, you guys know my situation. I've been pastor here going on 35 years. Our church was small when I became lead pastor. I think I've told you before. We had our first Christmas staff luncheon in a booth at Amarillo Grill. There were four of us. Today, I think there are almost 120 people who work for New Spring Church. And so I've had the privilege of doing a lot of hiring and, and talking to a lot of people who wanted to work in the Lord's work. And I've watched this time and time again, very credentialed, very good, loving Christ followers, who when they would explain to me why they wanted to work for New Spring, they would, they would talk about the job that they had and how it was mundane, it's the same thing over again, it's unpleasant. And it was the idea, if I could just work for New Spring, it's the idea that those of us who work at New Spring, we float on clouds. <laughs> and every day is an exciting day and it's filled with just Top of the mountain experiences. And there's this feeling. And, you know, I, I, I don't want to burst their bubble, but I do want them to know. And all of us who do work for New Spring could tell you there is stuff here that is mundane. There is stuff here that is repetitive. There are a few jobs that are unpleasant. There are a lot of jobs here that are anonymous. And there are jobs here where people work hard and Mark gets the credit. So I just... <laughs> I want you to know, even if you're a Christ follower, there are just going to be jobs that are difficult and unpleasant. You have time to listen to a Bible story with me for just a few moments tonight. You know, the Bible stories give us principles. There are commands in the Bible. We discover them in a lot of different places. But if you read the Bible, you'll discover that there are a whole lot of stories and the reason why these stories are very precious to me is because God gives us biblical principles. Here's the thing. In fact, the scriptures tell us this in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 10. The stories are there for our examples so that we will know how God thinks and how he interacts with human beings. So tonight I want to read to you a story from the Bible. I don't have the ability to read the whole story. I think it's probably the longest chapter in the book of Genesis. I think it's like 52 verses long. That's a long chapter. And it's the story. Well, it, I, I've actually seen Bibles where there were like little descriptions of what you were going to read. And usually the description is a bride for Isaac. So it is the story about how, well, how Rebecca came to be part of the family of patriarchs. So I'm going to ask you to begin reading. If you have your Bible, it's very early in the New Spring Bible. Uh, and actually, it's very early in all Bibles. It's in the book of Genesis <laughs> chapter 24. And it is in the first verse. So just read with me, if you will. I think it's also going to be on the screens. Abraham was now a very old man, and the Lord had blessed him in every way. One day, Abraham said to his oldest servant, the man in charge of his household, Swear by the Lord that you will not allow my son to marry one of these local Canaanite women. Go instead to my homeland, to my relatives, and find a wife there for my son Isaac. The servant asked, But what if I can't find a young woman who is willing to travel so far from home? 
The Lord, the God of heaven, he will send his angel ahead of you and he will see to it that you find a wife there for my son. If she's unwilling to come back with you, then you're free from this oath. So the servant swore to follow Abraham's instructions and then he loaded 10 of Abraham's camels with all kinds of expensive gifts from his master and he traveled. You get the picture so far? Abraham is living in Canaan because God told him to leave his homeland in Ur and go to the place where he would send him. And he wound up in Canaan, and ultimately that's where Israel is today. But in those days, Canaan was still populated by what we would consider the Canaanites, and they were very idolatrous people. So when Isaac got to the marrying age, I think he was about 40, um, I, don't, I always, Isaac is the one patriarch I don't know much about. You know, we know a lot about Abraham, a lot about Jacob, a lot about Joseph. Isaac's just sort of a vanilla, plate of vanilla ice cream. I don't really know that much about him. So in any event, Abraham said to his servant, I want you to go back to my home, to my country, to my hometown. I want you to find a bride for Isaac. And the servant said, well, you know, I don't know if she'll come with me. And Abraham said, don't worry about this. God will take care of it. So the servant travels the long journey, he gets there with his camels, and right before he starts to meet the girls in town, he does something very wise that we all ought to do. He prays. Verse 11. He made the camels kneel beside a well outside the town. It was evening, and the women were coming out to draw water. Here's his prayer. O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please give me success today and show, and this is my favorite favorite two-word expression in the Old Testament, You see it over and over about God. Show unfailing love. Show me love that doesn't quit. To my master Abraham, see, I'm standing here beside the spring, and the young women of the town are coming out to draw water. This is my request. I will ask one of them, please give me a drink from your jug. If she says, yes, have a drink, and I will water your camels too, let her be the one you have selected as Isaac's wife. This is how I will know. Well, You and I have the vantage point of history. We know we're about to meet one of the most famous women in the world. She is one of the mothers among the patriarchs. In fact, probably some of you ladies here tonight have her name as part of your name. Or maybe your mom did. Or maybe a family member, maybe a friend has the name. The name is Rebecca, and it means the servant of God. It's a very beautiful name. And so um, the girl that we are about to meet doesn't know she's famous yet. She's just out doing small, mundane, hard, pleasant, thankless, a grind kind of a job. She is drawing water. Now, get this picture in your mind. They don't have faucets. They don't have running water. The running water was the ladies who had, they were running when they came out to get the water and running back with it. And they, they came out with these big jars, and they would dip it down, you know, maybe run it down into the well, fill it up. They must have had really good biceps. You didn't have to go do Pilates in those days. And they would bring the water back to the house. It was a tough job. And it was a job that probably most of them did not want to do. It was a difficult job. So let's pick it up right there and see what happens. Before he had finished praying, he saw a young woman named Rebecca coming out with her water jug on her shoulder. Rebecca was very beautiful, old enough to be married, still a virgin. She went down to the spring, filled her jug, and came up again. Running over to her, the servant said, please give me a little drink of water from your jug. Yes, my lord, she answered, have a drink. And she quickly lowered her jug from her shoulder, gave him a drink. When she had given him a drink, she said, I'll draw water for your camels too until they have had enough to drink. 
So she quickly emptied her jug into the watering trough and ran back to the well to draw water for all his camels. Now, this is one of the great stories of the Bible. And as I said, it's quite lengthy. And I'm not going to teach this tonight, but it is probably one of the most symbolic chapters in the Old Testament. There is symbolism in this story of the church. I can remember being, when I was being trained in college for ministry, and and teachers of the Old Testament would wax eloquent on how that the bride for Isaac was a, a futuristic look at the church. Abraham is a type of God. The servant Eleazar is a type of the Holy Spirit. And God has sent the Holy Spirit into the world to find a bride for his son, Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit comes looking for us. And and there's this beautiful verse. It's my favorite line in this chapter. In verse 58, her parents call Rebecca and they asked her, are you willing to go with this man? And they asked her and she replied, yes, I will go. I think that is a magnificent picture of salvation. Because the Holy Spirit comes to us and says, will you go with this man? And we say, yes, I will have Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. It's a very beautiful thing, but that's not what I'm teaching on tonight. We'll cover that some other day. I just just want to go back to her getting water. Marilyn was reading that to me the other day, and, and I thought about the fact that she said, I won't just give you a drink. I will get water for your camels. Now... When I was a kid growing up, I heard this story over and over. I read it over and over, but I felt like the Holy Spirit. I don't 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 get. I'm not getting hyper spiritual. I just felt like the Holy Spirit was saying, "Slow down on this watering the camels thing," because I got to thinking about it. That would be a tough job. I asked you at the beginning of this message, how many of you have hard, thankless, unpleasant, mundane? wish I didn't have to do it, grind kind of task. And it was as if when I thought about watering camels, I thought that is exactly what that would be. But it was a lot worse than I thought. Because when I started researching watering camels in these days, I discovered that it was a lot harder than I thought. For one thing, and I looked this, I was reading in American Academy of Sciences and other sources, I discovered that camels drink, especially when they're thirsty after a long journey, 30 gallons of water. Now, now, you know, it's a misconception that they hold water in their humps. They don't. That's where they have protein, but actually goes in their bloodstream. But they can drink 30 gallons of water in 13 minutes. Now, here is the thing. I got to thinking about that job. And then I remembered in verse 10, it says, then he loaded 10 of Abraham's camels. How's your multiplication? 10. They all drank 30 gallons of water in 13 minutes. Now, how how long does it take to pull up that? How many times do you have to dip the jar into the well and come running to fill up 10 camels drinking 30 gallons of water And all I'm doing 30 gallons of water in 10 minutes. Well, I thought that's impressive. But then I began to study camels. And I began to discover what an unpleasant task that was. How many of you have heard that camels spit? It's a lot worse than that. It's not just saliva. And this, I hope you've eaten dinner a while back. It's what's in their stomachs that comes back up 
and they just have a nasty temperament and they love to eject a combination of what's been in their stomach and what's in their mouth. It is a nasty, nasty thing. And just to keep from being too indiscreet, when they empty their kidneys, they do it on their back legs. It is the way they keep cool. It, they are so bad-tempered and so filthy that in 1855, the United States government decided that in order to make soldiers more effective in desert climates like South and West Texas and California, actually the government allocated $30,000 to buy camels for soldiers, but they were so filthy and smelly and bad-tempered that the soldiers just turned them loose to let them go back into the wild. Just so that we will understand when you read the Bible. You know, I don't know about you. I grew up in church, and these Bible stories are sort of like they're in stained glass, and they're very beautiful. And, you know, here's Rebecca coming out, and she's pouring water in the trough of their camels. It was a bad job. I mean, you think about the prayer of this Eleazar guy who would say, God, let me know the right woman, because when she comes out, don't, don't let her just give me a drink, but offer her to get a drink for my camels. How many of you have a job like that? I mean, in a spiritual kind of sense or in a relational kind of sense, it's filthy, it's smelly, it's unpleasant. You got to do it over and over again. It's like getting 30 gallons of water for 10 camels. I mean, it's just over and over and over. But that's when the Holy Spirit taught me something huge. Because as Mary Alice read to me, it was like all the components of this story came together. Look at verse 52. When Abraham's servant heard their answer, the family's answer allowing Rebecca to go, he bowed down to the ground and worshiped the Lord. Then he brought out silver and gold jewelry and clothing and presented them to Rebecca. Where did that clothing, where did all that gold and silver come from? Let's go back and read the verse, rest of verse 10. Then he loaded 10 of Abraham's camels with all kinds of expensive gifts. Rachel didn't know it at the time, but her gifts were on those camels. How many of us are doing things right now? It's like, I don't want to do that. But, oh, if I could do what I wanted to do, if I could do what I wanted to do with purpose, I would just float on the clouds. But how do we know that our gifts aren't on those camels? I like to read biographies. I've studied biographies all my life. It is my favorite kind of reading. And, you know, here's the thing. We tend to look at a great woman's story from the end, or a great man's story from the end. We know what they accomplish. We know what they do. We know about Abraham Lincoln being a great president. We know about, you know, we know about authors, you know, who are great authors, and we know their names and what they do. But oftentimes when you start unpacking biographies and you begin to look at what these great leaders well, how they came along, what we discover is a lot of times it was in the difficult things and the unpleasant things and the stuff that they wouldn't have chosen that God opened the doors for greatness. Tonight, as we ask the question, is it possible that our gifts may be on those camels? I want to give you three verses and then we'll go home. 
Here is the first verse that I want you to see in Zechariah chapter 4, verse 10. Now, in this particular scenario, God is about to bring his people back to a place of blessing. And he is going to do it by small steps. And God says this, and I love this verse. I've loved it all my life. God says, do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. You and I may not understand and realize how God will work in our lives to take some of those difficult things that you find baked into your world right now. God may choose to use those very small, insignificant things that you don't even think twice about to ultimately bring about his great plan in your life. I mean, if you just want the biblical backstory for this, I mean, consider, if you will, that David was carrying lunch to his brothers when he ran into Goliath. The disciples were, well, Peter and John were mending their nets when Jesus came by. Saul was chasing his father's donkeys when God made him king. Small things, small things. Have I ever told you my connection with this church? I think I've told you pieces of it, but I don't know that I've ever told this. Do you know how I became connected to this church the first time? And like, like Rebecca, I didn't know I was getting connected. I, I just knew there were camels. I didn't know my gifts were on the camel. I was 17 years old. I'd started preaching. I, I preached my first revival when I was 16. Mary Alice and I were in high school. I had five revivals scheduled after my, it's crazy. I had five revivals scheduled after my senior year in high school in the summer. Youth revivals mostly. And so Mary Alice was a sophomore in high school. I'm a senior. I mean, we were so young. But I remember telling her that there was a church that I was scheduled to preach a series of meetings in July that was having a spring revival. And I said, hey, you know, because I'm scheduled and not a courtesy, let's go and attend this spring revival in this church where I'm going to preach in July. And that's all I intended to do. I just tended to walk in, say hello to the pastor, support that revival by my attendance. I did not know the guest speaker. It turned out that he had been a longtime pastor in West Texas. And after being successfully pastoring out there, he had come to the Dallas-Fort Worth area to become the chairman of the faculty of a Christian college that trained ministry students. I should tell you, I had a real arrogant attitude about ministry colleges and seminaries in those days because I had told God I will preach, but I am not going to go to some rinky-dink Christian college. That's exactly my words to God. <laughs> well, this pastor had become, as I say, chairman of the faculty of this Christian college. It had also been the college where my father had attended and my sister was on the faculties and the music faculty of the college. So I really didn't plan to go there. So I, I get to the church that night with Mary Alice, and we just take our seat. It's probably about five minutes before the service starts. And the pastor comes to me. And he, at that time, knew I led worship in my church. And he said to me, our worship leader is not here. He is sick tonight. I need you to lead worship here tonight. The choir is back in the room waiting to be rehearsed. I, nobody knows what the song is. I need you to plan a worship service and rehearse the choir. I don't want to do that. I want to be inconspicuous. I want to sit there in the seat and with Mary Alice and do my duty to support that revival and go back home 
quietly. The last thing I want to do is jump up on center stage when I only have five minutes to prepare a worship service. But hey, this guy was a great friend of my dad's, and he asked me to do this, and he just kind of basically said, I expect you to do this. So I got a hymnal out. I picked out about five hymns. I picked out another song to go out and rehearse the choir, went in the back of the church, rehearsed the choir, brought the choir out, led worship that night. It was a camel. It was a camel. Let's just say that. The guest speaker that night, his name was Roy Johnson. He and his wife, Dorothy, like I said, they'd never been able to have children. But he'd been a successful pastor in West Texas. Now he was chairman of the faculty. I listened to him preach that night. He preached. All of Roy's sermons were like 23 minutes long. I like that. And they were well prepared and right to the point. And it challenged me. And I turned to Mary Alice on the way home. And I said... I want to go to college where he is. What I did not know was he went home and told his wife, Dorothy, I met the coolest young man tonight. When I was a freshman at that school, well, most of us, most of the guys who were there preparing for ministry in some way, I was a freshman. I was was just a no-name freshman there. Usually when someone would call to the school and say, we need a young minister to come minister in our church, that was for seniors. It wasn't for freshmen. But whenever anyone would call the college and say, we need a preacher to come preach, Roy Johnson would say, I know who to call, and he would send me out. All the time I was there, I mean, he constantly was sort of a mentor for me. Now, the only problem was that came up was my senior year in college that year because he taught a class called pastoral theology. It was the practical aspects of pastoring. All my years there, I had waited for Roy Johnson's pastoral theology class. It was a second semester class my senior year. So I am walking in. I think it was early March in the middle of that class. I was so excited about taking the class. But before I got into the campus that day, there was a rumor. He was the most popular professor on campus. There was a rumor going around that he was leaving the college to take a church. It seems that a church in Kansas had had a very unfortunate thing happen with their pastor. And even though he was not a young man, they needed someone to come in and stabilize this church turned out to be Messiah Baptist Church in Wichita, Kansas, and Roy Johnson became pastor. I thought that was one of the worst days of my life because I've been looking forward to that class for years. Well, as I said, he was not young when he came here, and some of the leaders of that organization, some of the pastors were much older, and they began to get together, and they say, we don't have the next generation coming on. We need to look for someone to take our places in these great flagship churches. Roy Johnson would never let me go. I didn't have any desire to come here, but for three years, he just really would not let me go. And in 1985, I said yes. We co-pastored together. I became lead pastor. He actually worked for me for a while. He's with the Lord now. Do you you understand what I'm saying? I am here tonight because I watered a camel. (laughs) It wasn't something I really wanted to do. It wasn't a fun thing. It was... Almost an embarrassing kind of thing. But my gift was on that camel. One more time. Let me read to you what the word of God. The Bible says, do not despise small beginnings. 
Do you know, here's the thing. There are a lot of people who are never going to accomplish anything big in life because they want the big stuff to be handed to them. And it's like they're, they're too big to do the small stuff. But never forget this. If you're too big to do the small stuff, you're too small to do the big stuff. If you can't do the small stuff, then you can't do the big stuff. Here's the thing. If you ever want to go to the family of patriarchs, you have to be willing to water the camels. The Bible tells us that promotion doesn't come from the east or the west, but it comes from the Lord our God. Well, the second verse that I want to share with you kind of dovetails with what I just taught you. In Luke chapter 16, in the 10th verse, Jesus said, He who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much. I was looking at the Greek construction of that sentence, and it's really difficult to translate into English, which is why a lot of Bible translations don't fully translate this. The Greek is like a superlative in regard to little. The Bible said the person who is faithful in a, if we were going to bring this into the English language, a tiny, 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 tiny thing is faithful in much. And Jesus said someone who is unfaithful in a tiny, tiny, tiny thing can't be trusted with the big stuff. See, for anyone who says, I got to do unpleasant tasks today, I don't, see how they, I don't see how they evolve into purpose. So consequently, since it's a painful, meaningless, unpleasant job, I'm going to bring my C game. But if I ever get an A job, I'm going to bring my A game. It's never going to work. You have to be faithful in small things. I apologize for sharing so many personal stories tonight, but I know those better than anybody I talked to you about how I came here. My dad pastored in Fort Worth, the same church, for almost 50 years. And then he came to be our care pastor. What you might not know about my mom and my dad, when my dad surrendered to the ministry, he really had not been walking with the Lord that closely until recently before that. But he had gotten, he and mom had gotten into a great church in a little town in south central Texas. And dad had really begun to give his heart and life to the, I mean, he, he was saved, but he really began to give his life to the Lord. But it happened pretty quickly, and it wasn't long after that that God called him to preach. So with no connections, no, no big connections, my dad and my mom moved from Burnett, Texas to Fort Worth, where there was a seminary. And so dad came straight from this country town and began to go to seminary. Now, I would have, I've never talked to my dad about this. I, I wish I had. I never really asked him how he, how he planned to have an open door. Did he think it was going to come from meeting the right people at the seminary? Was it going to be kind of like my situation where somebody, kind of a, a professor there, took him under wing and kind of opened doors for him? Let me tell you that story. Because it goes to the heart of being faithful very little. My dad had been a farmer, but because he had a really bad crop one year and some things really went sideways for him, he moved into town and he actually learned to paint houses, to do taping and bedding and painting. And he'd been fairly successful with it in his early 20s, but when he came to Fort Worth, that was the only thing he knew. But in those days, there weren't jobs to be had doing that. So if a person, a craftsperson, wanted to do painting and taping and bedding, that kind of thing, you went down to the lumber yard, and you just sort of waited for people to come in with projects. And that's kind of how my dad kept food on the table for him and my mom and my sister in those early days in Fort Worth. 
Well, it really wasn't very long after my dad got to Fort Worth. He had just started school. He was at the Berry Street Lumberyard right on I-35 in Fort Worth. And he had just finished painting. And he came in and he was cleaning his brushes in the back of the store. He's 25 years old. No church background, no church job. Dad had never been on staff or anything. Just basically got to town and started seminary. And a man from the neighborhood close to Berry Street Lumber came in and talked to the owner and he said, we are trying to get a church started in this neighborhood, but we don't have a pastor yet. And sort of as a joke, the owner of the lumber yard jerked his thumb back at my dad in the back of the store. I don't know if dad had preached two sermons at that point and said, well, there's a preacher back there. Now think about that. My dad didn't get his first call to a church because he knew the right people or he made connections at the seminary. He was cleaning his paintbrushes. And the man came back, introduced himself to my dad, invited him to come out and preach on the last Sunday of August in 1951. And dad stepped away from that church in the year 2000. I think about the great things that God has allowed in our lives. And it's, it's been with camels. It's the stuff that, I mean, it, it's, it's doing a job that you really don't want to do. It's cleaning your brushes because you've got to find a way to keep body and soul together while you're trying to do the seminary thing. But it's in the camels that God will oftentimes bless us because, see, our gifts are on those camels. And for the person who says, I'm too big to water camels, well, you'll be too small to open gifts. I close tonight with the third verse. Just, just go over the first two in case you missed them. Zechariah 14, don't despise the day of small things, small beginnings. God loves to see it get started. God loves beginnings. Second verse, Jesus, he who is faithful in the very tiniest things will be faithful in much. And then finally this, because somebody could say, Mark, thank you. This is really cool. Thanks for sharing stories about you and your dad. But you, you, you have to understand, there's never going to be any connection. My camel has no connection with God. There, there's nothing I got to do where I work and the unpleasantness of my job that's going to ever have anything to do with God. So consequently, this does not apply to me. Yeah, it does. I want you to hear this. Whatever you do. Oh, that's everything, isn't it? Whatever you do. You say, well, Mark, I'm a plumber. I'm a teacher. I'm a doctor. I'm a nurse. I'm a counselor. I'm a, I'm a construction worker. Whatever you do. Work at it with all your heart. As working, as working for the Lord. It doesn't say you are working for the Lord specifically. It says do what you do as though you were doing it for the Lord, not for men. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. So for all of us tonight in all of our camels that smell and stink and regurgitate and other stuff on us, let us not forget that if we will serve God with those camels, our gifts are on the camels. Thank you for being here tonight. God bless you. 
Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in Wichita, the surrounding area, we'd love for you to engage with us in one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our incredible kids and student environments, visit us at newspring.org. One more time, newspring.org.